Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops uh, following the Hawks opening preseason loss at home to a shorthanded Orlando Magic team. Uh, we can go a lot of directions. We can go in a lot of directions with this, Glenn, but uh, where do you want to start in, in recapping what you saw tonight? Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot we could talk about here. Um, it just depends on partially how technical we might want to get. And I know we'll get into some of that, but maybe high-level thoughts first, and then we can kind of kind of dig in there. Anything – you do such a great job of, like, teeing up questions for your uh, – um, guests and co-hosts and all that sort of stuff. So I'll, I'll route this first one back to you. What any like big one or two takeaways you you had from this one? Mm. I mean, I guess when you're looking at the positives, for me, one that I would take away is just that all it it almost seemed like there was a. Uh, a correlation between how long a player has been with the Hawks and, and how well they played in this game. It's like the longer you've been in the system, the, the more impressive you were. Like I thought Kevin Herter was terrific. Um, I thought John Collins was, was really good. Uh, Cam Reddish and, and DeAndre Hunter didn't really look like rookies anymore. And honestly, if there was one, one player who's been with the team for quite some time who didn't look great, that would be Trey Young. But I would I would give him the benefit of the doubt just on the fact that he's an offensive player and whether it's a short-term thing or a long-term thing, you know, if it's just kind of a let's play with it in the preseason or, you know, here's something that we're going to do long-term, it felt like the Hawks changed some of the stuff that they did on offense tonight and the player who would be most impacted by that was Trey Young because they didn't go to him in the pick and roll a whole lot. Yeah, that, that was a big thing for me too. If people were, you know, maybe feeling concerned after one game about how Trey looked or what numbers he put up. They, he was doing a lot of different stuff. Uh, you know, his first two years was super heavy, high pick and roll, um, even some decent doses of side pick and roll. And, you know, you, I think you were um, present for some of the activities in the September timeframe when they had sort, sort of a mini, mini camp and a mini bubble type of thing. Right. And there's a lot of talk about becoming less dependent on the pick and roll. And I think you saw a lot of that tonight. So the, the lack of uh, effectiveness or lack of rhythm that we saw in Trey, I think was almost exclusively about him doing so many different things other than what he does best and what he does most naturally, which is to run that high pick and roll. And it is going to be interesting to me as the season, if they, as they get into the regular season and they need to start winning games to pursue the goals they have for this year, do they really commit to diversifying more or do they feel um, kind of a, um, maybe a need to really ride that pick and roll again? That's going to be one of the more interesting things the first five, ten games of the season. Tonight we saw a lot of stuff besides the high pick and roll, and I think that played right into uh, why we didn't see kind of the trade we're used to seeing. Yeah, and I think, I, I mean, I would guess that at least part of it's experimental. Like, there, there are going to be more pick and rolls than there were tonight for Trey. I think it's just a matter of, I, I do think there's a certain experimental element to it. I just don't know 
when they see what they see out of it, how for however many preseason games that they want to do it, uh, you know, how much of it do they keep? Because I, I do think it will change. It's just a, to a certain extent, how much will it change? Because I, it, you know, you're not just going to take that and toss it in the bin because he's really good at it. That's uh, that's why he was an all-star last season, and that's really where his value on the court lies in a lot of respects. Clearly, they want to use him off the ball more, but uh, they're, they're, I mean, just it wouldn't really make sense to just get rid of all of it to that extent. I, th- I think there is an experimental element here for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm curious about it. I think curiosity is a good thing. Um I, that's sort of a principle that I kind of advise to stay curious. Um, but yeah, I do wonder if they think there are other actions that could be um, productive in a comparable way. Right. It seems unlikely to me because of how excellent Trey is in that pick and roll. So there, there's a, a few different strategies that they might be pursuing here. One is, you know, basically last year's, Opposing teams really only had to prepare for the pick and roll, and right. so you're not throwing a lot of um, different things that your po- your opponent has to prepare to handle and and, and deal with. It, that puts even more workload on Trey, even more so than just his raw usage generates. You know, and so if you you know show more, if you do do more to some degree then you're throwing more game preparation workload at your opponent, and they have to prepare for a lot. Um, a lot more different types of things that they might have to encounter. And so some of that is, I think, a little bit of a, you know, um, a game of chess between preparing for an opponent for any given night and just forcing them to have to prepare for three or four different primary actions instead of one. Um, but on top of that, well, I think we, we there's also been a, a lot of conversation, and we shouldn't surprise anyone, that Trey is an elite catch-and-shoot guy. And so there's um, probably an opportunity if they can find ways to run something that gets him more catch and shoot opportunities. That's a a, a lower effort shot, a lower effort usage for him. That makes sense as they continue to try to build around him. I think that I would think there's at least some of both of that, but I, I don't know yet. I think it would take a little bit of time to find out what is that other stuff really about. Yeah, and I would, you know, I didn't mentioned it before, but I think another factor in the fact that, you know, I would really expect to see more pick and roll in the regular season is that there's Clint Capella now, and I think he works better in that than, I mean, and everything's brand new, and it's hard to judge it yet, but, uh, man, I think in the end, his his strength is going to come in. Offense, on the offensive end, his strength is going to come from, you know, what he can do what he can do in the pick-and-roll offense and what he can get on the offensive glass. Uh, he tried to throw an entry pass tonight to John Collins, and it, it didn't inspire a whole lot in terms of what to expect out of his passing ability. Yeah, in addition to that, um, tonight when they weren't in the pick-and-roll, he was kind of in the way. And I, yeah. I don't, yeah, there was a pick-and-pop. I forget who it was, but Gallo was the, the pop man. And I, I instantly paused it. I said, okay, well, Capella's out there. So when they're doing this pick and pop, what's Capella doing? And he was just kind of trying to get into some, you know, post up. You know, maybe he slid in from the dunk position and, and you know, the dunker spot and tried to try to do a post up. And it's like, oh, well, 
you know, in a in preseason game one, that's not something that would be worrisome. But you know, in a playoff game or something like that, I don't know. It's just you you're going to be able to. You know, if that pick and pop turns into a pick and roll, then him being in the middle of the paint trying to post up is going to cause problems. So they'll know, okay, that they can just sell out for the pop and not worry about any kind of roll action. Yeah, and I want to be clear that that's not because Clint doesn't know what he's doing. It's just more of the fact that they're all still new to each other. And um, and, and they didn't really have a guy like him last year. You know, by, by the time yeah, that the no, Hawks were playing the last half of the season – Everybody knew where everyone's supposed to be. A lot of spread pick and roll, just just kind of spread out. And the play that I'm thinking of the most was, um, I think Trey Trey or someone ran a uh, a pick and pop, like you mentioned, with Gallo, and they draw drew the switch, and Gallo ended up with a small guard on him. I don't remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he wanted to go straight down to the low post, and that's where Capello was standing. And Capello looked like he recognized what was going on. And he's ready to clear out, but he also looked like he just didn't know where to run. <laughs> he was going to clear out. <laughs> okay, where do I go? Uh, and stuff. And when he's off the ball, he's always looking to set screens and do helpful things and stuff. It's not like he's not useful. Right. It's just a matter of having some fluidity and some predictability and just getting guys used to each other. But I think the the point you were kind of driving home was Capella is most useful in the pick and roll. That's Trey's best action as well. And then tonight, that was kind of multiplied by the fact that for this game, when they weren't in pick and roll, Capella just happened to be kind of in the way tonight. Yeah. And, um, you know, on the positive side, the rebounding looks great. Like, not just the numbers test, like the eye test. Like, even when Orlando got rebounds, you know, you're not going to get every rebound. The ball goes one way or another, but just in terms of their positioning and the rebounds they got and the rebounds they got in 50-50 situations, it's like, oh, okay, that that's something new. Like, the Hawks haven't had that in a very long time. Yeah, they have it, and that's I think that's one thing you hope to get from playing big wings like Hunter and Reddish, you know, for, for example, and even um, Solomon Hill, you know, in his minutes, he, he's super active and pretty, pretty a long guy, too. Um, but I think the, the bigger part of that, probably what you were kind of starting to hit at there, is other teams actually have a rebounder on the Hawks to account for now, which opens up other space for guys to come in and compete for rebounds. I think they had 19 offensive rebounds tonight, which is a massive number. Right. Um, you know, but and if that's something, if they're gonna if they're gonna generate a lot more uh, jump shots, for example, this year, doing different things, then having the ability to you know, get second chance opportunities and such is a, is a pretty big deal. It's gonna, it might be one of the better ways for them to try to generate you know, points at the rim. So, yeah, the rebounding, I thought, was was uh, really good tonight. I, I wanted to check myself a little bit and just make sure that I'm not reacting to the fact that it's been so bad <laughs> in the last few years that, right. you know, moderately good looks awesome, but um, the numbers look great, and, and, it, and it looked like um, – uh, it looked like it was something that will um, carry on and uh, carry forward and be useful in the regular season. Uh, now, Lane is not the strongest. They don't have the strongest rebounders in the four and five, so we'll have to see how that kind of works in other matchups. But that area of the game, this that area of the game tonight, what I thought was super encouraging, like you did. Yeah, and Orlando's kind of decimated by injuries. I know that I looked at their injury list and it's like, well, damn, those are my four favorite Magic players. It was like Ross, <laughs> Isaac. Aminu, who am I missing? Oh, Mo Bamba. It's 
So yeah, rebounding against them got a little bit easier because of the players who they were missing, but at the same time, uh, I, I don't think there's a question that they're going to be able to hang with just about anybody on the glass. I, I didn't feel like I got a, and again, you know, this is just on watching it once, I didn't feel like I got a particularly good vibe for if anything had changed defensively, uh, you know, how they were playing the pick and roll. I mean, I noticed that they kind of switched and then recovered on a 4-5 pick and roll. Of course, they were switching a lot on the wings. Um, you know, I, I saw Capella kind of hedge and recover a few times. But uh, it, what did you think about sort of strategy and execution on the defensive end in, in the half-court situation? I was surprised at how much the coaching staff threw at them as a team from, from my watch of the game. I thought they were doing a lot of read and communicate type of um, scheming, not just, hey, let's, um, let's you know, chase over screens, let's stay attached to your guy, let's not switch, or let's switch everything. There, there wasn't really a straightforward rule of thumb that I saw. So there's, there's two things, two big things that I saw defensively. One was that they were, they were weaking the pick-and-roll defensively a ton in this game. And that's um, a pretty nuanced term that a lot of um, folks who watch even a lot of basketball might not have heard, uh, or if they heard not much. And so what that basically means is that the defense, both the big man and the guard, defensively are pushing the ball handler towards as we can. So if it's a right-handed dribbler like Marco Fultz, they're going to position themselves to steer that player towards his left hand um, and then that buys some time to kind of get reoriented back to the original um, assignments. I don't remember them doing very much of that last year at all. Um, I think Capella fits that quite nicely because it does take a lot of communication around the timing and, and where you actually set up to force that weakening. Um, but, it, but you do have to uh, force that ball handler to the weekend. There was one Place tonight where Trey just completely let, um, I think it was Cole Anthony drive to his right when they were clearly trying to pick and roll, and that's not something that they could have. Yeah, he, he rejected so, the screen. Like he was, they were going to try to force him left, and, and he kind of, yeah. the screen was set to his left, and he just rejected the screen and got a clean shot going right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and but Trey gave him you know more space than than, than it should sure. than it should be allowed. Yep, and, and basically gave him space to come right. There should be no space to come right at all. Should be a complete force left. Yeah. Um, but but you know I'll I'll couch that with saying I don't remember them doing much of that last year at all. So that was new for everyone, including Trey. So I'm not going to you know overly react right. to that. We we Trey's defense has been talked you know you know to, into infinity, and there's no reason to. Overreact, overly react to what we saw from tonight. The second thing I saw was a lot of switching, um, but it took me probably almost until halftime to figure out what I think I was seeing, and that's it was a read base switch scheme, which meant you know basically they're seeing uh, what's in front of them, they're seeing what the opposing offense is presenting, and then deciding on the fly if they were going to call for a switch or not or play it straight. And like you mentioned, there were some you know, temporary switch and then recover back. And there was some permanent switching. Uh, early in the game, we saw um, Collins and Capella straight up switch any four and five ball screen action. I think we saw like two or three of those. Um, but across the game, uh, there was a lot of what looked to me like read-based switching 
That is a lot mentally to ask right. of your team. I think it's a ton mentally to ask of your team in their first preseason game, especially with so many new pieces, and especially with how long it's been since they've been in that setting. Right. Um, but I think that's, to me, the takeaway is, I think Coach Pierce is going to ask a lot of them on the defensive of the court and ask them to do kind of, you know, not the most simple stuff. And when you look at sort of their defensive makeup, you know, that's where a Capella could help. That's where, depending on how many minutes you get, the guy like Solomon Hill could help and Arundo could help. Is they do have some pieces um, that fit, you know, a more complex defensive scheme um, that they didn't have at all the last few years. And if you know anything about, you know, Coach Pierce's background and such, you know, he wants to be able to kind of master, you know, everything. He want, I think, he wants his team to be able to handle almost anything defensively for almost any situation. And I, I was, I thought we'd see some pretty basic stuff in the first preseason game, and we saw the opposite. So defensively, it was the weakening the pick and roll that was new for me, and then the rebound switching was something that I don't think we saw a lot of last year either. Yeah, and, and one thing that that Pierce just sort of brought up unprompted, and I have to go back and check the numbers. I think it was one of the more successful stretches of the night was. Late in the first half, they their center rotation was basically Capella, and then Fernando, and then late in the first half they went to Collins, and this of course is with uh, Okongwu out. Um, but I think I think one of their more successful stretchers was what they got when they put Collins at center, which they did at the same time as they took Trey Young out. So they kind of went smaller at center, bigger in the backcourt with Bogdanovich at the one. And Pierce said that with that lineup, he could just switch everything. And that was something that we'd probably see uh, more of down the line. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Having five of you know decent-sized bodies on the court at the same time. What's my, the reaction I have to that, thinking about playing Gallo and Collins at the four and five without Trey... It's like Gallo and Collins is an absolute nightmare in the pick and, pick and roll <laughs> on offense because Gallo is as good as it gets a pick and pop. And Collins shot, we all know Collins shot 40% from the three-point line last year. And Collins is probably the best in the league diving at the rim. So um, it, it's, it'll be interesting to see how they react to and kind of start to shape rotations and lineups that they'll go to and stuff. Um, but that, that's it's interesting to think about that from the defensive end when it feels to me like maybe you're punting a whole lot of opportunity to, to throw a one, four, and five that's just an absolute nightmare to try to cover on the offensive end. Yeah. Honestly, I went into this season, and tonight I was, you know, half an hour before the game, I was like, okay, Clint Capella, Clint Capella, Clint Capella. But really, over the last... Two months, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about what this team has and how it's been put together with its off-season acquisitions. It's like, I just felt like we were going to see more of DeAndre Hunter. Like, just, you know, what can he do? What, what kind of potential does he bring? How does it work uh, when he has more players around him? And I just sort of suspected that He's going to have a good season, 
and I was intrigued tonight because it seems like, and I'll have to ask about this at some point, but uh, it seems like there was some sort of dictum or message or uh, edict to Mr. Hunter, if you see somebody small, go through them. Like yeah, it, he was he was super aggressive, especially when he recognized that the magic did not have a a real ring protector on the court. Right. You know, um, and that's great. And, and he showed some of that last year, especially yes. when he got to play at the four and he'd get a big in front of him. He just if he could get even if, even if the other team had a rim protector sometimes he drew that rim protector and get the that guy far enough from the basket that he could you know kind of connect the dots to realize well if i get past him the, i can get to the rim and there's not gonna be any resistance there tonight like the moment he caught the ball and there was a lesser rim protector on the on the court from magic he just put his head down and was aggressive i like that and it, it, it like you said it looked to me like that's something that they've been talking to him about is is, is to really um you know, be aggressive when the situation presents itself in that way. It's funny that when when he is aggressive and when he's taking it to the basket, the longer the possession goes or the longer his drive goes, the, the more I like it because, you know, I'm always nervous about the first couple of dribbles, his handle. But I, I like the way that he handles himself once he's taken that drive into the paint, his footwork as he squares himself, you know, his his mental approach to figure out, okay, how am I going to get this shot out over, over whatever is in front of me in, in terms of the defense? Like, he really has nice touch and nice strategy. And, of course, he has a big body to bump people off if he needs to. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a mixed bag on his drives, but... If the Hawks put the right personnel around him and kind of just make it easier, simple isn't the right word, but just you know, put him in situations where he gets the best possible setup for his drives, then it's going to be a really good weapon. Because another thing that he does really well, he's almost uh, this. It's bad to make basketball analogies because you always make them to the best possible version of what they are. He's a little bit Harden-like when he tries to get his shot off. Like he has, he has good wingspan, and he'll kind of, kind of hook his underhand shots under the defense or under his opponent's arm, and just kind of make some contact that way. And combining that with his strength, he still gets a good shot off, and he makes it so that he's, uh, you know, there's a high likelihood that he's going to get a call from a ref too. Yeah, the, what what looked a little bit different tonight was it looked like he understood the, his angles a little bit better tonight. He was able to recognize when he got maybe not a full step on a defender, but even a half or, or sometimes a quarter step is still understanding that's leverage and that with his length, he's still going to be able to kind of create an angle that he can kind of make work for himself. And then with the ball handling, like you touched on, you know, I don't think we're ever in his whole career we're going to see, you know, a, a through the legs dribble or some, you know, kind of uh, complex hang dribble, you know, combination or what have you. All, But he has a great kind of jab, um, sort of a triple threat kind of position. Right. Jab to start his dribble possession. And yep. then he has a quick crossover. And that's all he needs. So I, to your point, I think keeping his ball handling – package simple 
Um, sure. But letting him understand the angles he creates is that's where his I think sweet spot is as a dribble driver. And I, I thought he did a great job of it tonight. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't have to be complex. It's just that for someone as strong as he is, and it's really unbelievable how how strong he is in contact. I, the strength that shows up in so many places, I just get a little bit nervous of it when he starts that drive when there's a little bit of contact. You know, does he know where the ball is? You know what I mean? That, that right. sort of thing. It, it's not. It's not. Doesn't have to be a fancy thing. It's just, is he going to maintain possession as he kind of fights his way through contact at the beginning of a dribble drive? Um, yeah. So it, it doesn't need to be fancy, but it's. You know, I think with repetition, it, it can be really good. Yeah, and that, and that's a way where he's a completely different player. From Reddish in a number of ways, but in that one especially, he's such a power driver. Right. You know, where where Reddish has sort of all the the whole ball handling package. Now he needs to refine it. Reddish needs to refine it, clean it up, and all that stuff. Uh, we saw some of that tonight too. But Hunter has that power drive game that can could can I think really complement the other pieces the Hawks have have well when he's really putting it to use um, in a safe uh, and productive way. Yeah. The other thing that that you know. The other big takeaway, I think, from from what was said after the game is that Pierce, you know, alternately praised and criticized Cam's performance tonight and that he thought he was particularly active and effective on defense and that he was playing too fast on offense. Similar, you know, not necessarily to, let's say, the beginning of his season last year, but, you know, maybe sort of the, the midpoint. Yeah, and I I think they're giving him a wider lane, uh, if if you will. And they um, should. That, I mean, it's game yeah, one. For, for for sure, for sure. And and I think one thing we learned about Reddish last year his rookie season is that you know his confidence is a pretty big deal to him being effective. I mean, to, to a degree, that's true of everyone. Um, but his like really feeling like not only is he confident in what he's doing, but him feeling like the people on the court with him are confident in what he's doing. And it, it took them some time to build up towards that last year, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if there's a bit of a building up back uh, process this year. And then I also, you know, the thing that uh, maybe jumped out at me most with right tonight was, I think it was about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And, you know, he had not had a long stretch where he just kind of ran the offense. It kind of was the creator they right. gave him a, a good, you know, two, three, right, I don't know how long it was, but they gave him a good long stretch where they just gave him the keys. Yes. And let him go. That, and it wasn't, that happened it wasn't when Brandon Goodwin was on time, the court. But they, but they gave him the opportunity to just do some work in that area, in right. that role. Yeah, just, you know, develop the comfort level, you know, get him some possessions, get him some feel. <coughs> I mean, that, that, that was, uh, I mean, I think that's a good thing. And, you know, it, Seeing him do that with with Goodwin, where essentially you know you could put Goodwin on the point of attack and you know essentially be the point guard on defense with Reddish kind of handling it more on offense, it kind of prompted me to think if they could do something like that with Chris Dunn in one of their reserve units, where you, you kind of put Cam on the ball as the point guard on offense, but you know on defense you could have Cam. You know Cam's really flexible in what he could do on defense, and then Dunn on the point of attack would be something else yeah they they could have especially when you're facing teams that have two really good 
offensive guards and like bigger offensive guards. You'd think the last year is like last year dealing with like the combination of Harden and Westbrook, even and in, in a different way, say Lillard and you know CJ McCollum, um, and you can kind of go on and on. But there are some teams that throw like two really really good. Um, you know, often to all-star level type players at you, and you and you can't just have one point of attack, point point of attack defender on the court um, in that situation for long stretches. And I do think you're right that if Reddish can uh, develop, you know, um, the confidence and can have enough success in that role, that that's going to unlock a lineup that allows them to counter defensively uh, teams that can throw two really good, um, you know guard initiators and guard scores or wing scores at you. So I think that's critical. And, you know, I'm, I might be the world's biggest Brandon Goodwin supporter, but uh, they need other options <laughs> in games where the other team's throwing a lot of size specifically at the point of attack, you know. Yeah. Um, and Reddish, he just calmly uh, stepped into like a 28-footer <laughs> Which, I mean, he had all the confidence in the world taking the shot and it looked yeah. really great, which is, I mean, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like he's a shooter with the fastest release, so uh, yeah. if, if that gets him into a comfort zone, he is a good shooter, and, uh, you know, if he can extend his range in that way, uh, you know, that could, that could make his driving a little bit easier if defensives have to worry about that. Yeah, I've always felt like the key to him being a reliable and consistent shooter is his ball handling, because if you watched him play last year when the shot was really a struggle, a lot of that was him not controlling his dribble into the shot. And tonight, I just thought we saw the ball handling under control. His turnovers weren't really dribble-related tonight. It was, like you mentioned a moment ago, just going too fast, you know, getting a... Um, a travel call before he got his dribble down on the court or moving through some action you know, right. or what have you. But he kept his, his dribble centered and under control and within the um, the grasp of his, his ball handling so that the ball stays centered when he's um, transitioning into shooting motion. And so I, I thought that all looked really good tonight, especially as compared to what was at the beginning of last year. So, you know, I know that Hawks fans are super excited about him. And have really, really, uh, some Hawks fans have really high expectations for him. I hope he has a really good um, season that grows into a really sizable role that he gets to have for, you know, whatever um, minutes maybe that Trey's not playing or times when Trey needs a break on offense that he can become that other guy. We'll just to see how it goes for him this year. But I think what we learned tonight is that he absolutely gave the opportunity for the coach staff. Good. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of other takeaways. I. I like the sets that they ran to start the second and fourth quarters. Uh, a lot of misdirection, a lot of crisscross dribble handoffs at the top of the key. Uh, in one, on one of them, they were setting sort of a, a double off-ball screen for Bogdanovich to come get a dribble handoff from Herter, and Collins was flying over all over the place, uh, setting screens on just about everybody he could, and it ended with Herter getting a wide open three-pointer that he hit but uh the action was great and it was you know enabled by the amount of offensive talent that they can put on the floor even without trey on the court yeah i thought the most interesting um 
And then maybe this is a, one good kind of excess nose item to hit on before we wrap up is I thought the split cut like action stuff, they ran away from the ball. Um, in fact, I uh, tweeted a couple of videos and I'll, after we're done here, I'll, I'll quote tweet them and, and at the pod and you, so if listeners want to go find them, they can see it. But there was a play where they threw the ball to Collins, um, kind of the right elbow, and Solomon Hill and Cam Reddish execute a split cut on the weak side of the floor, and Reddish popped free at the at the rim, and Collins hit him. Yep. That was classic Kerr Warriors-type yep. action off of the ball. And then the one I think you kind of mentioned was uh, a different type of split cut action that involved three players instead of two. Um and it involved Herder coming up to the top of the key and receiving the ball and dribble handoff, which looked like a spitting image of Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Mm-hmm. And then um, basically it ended up clearing the backside of the, of the uh, path to the rim for, um, I think it was uh, Collins, um, that rolled to the rim and, and uh, Herder was able to deliver it to him. That, again, was classic Kerr Warriors. And so, you know, it, it, when we first started talking here on this episode, we talked a little bit about how real is some of that non-pick-and-roll stuff. I think that stuff is real. I think that stuff is going to be something that they invested in going on this year. We saw a good bit of it tonight. And if you kind of think philosophically about what Kerr has tried, tried to do the last few years with the Warriors with that off-ball split-cut action is – Lift a really good three-pointer to the three-point line, force the defense to have to really work hard to cover that shooter at the three-point line. Yep. And the the ideal outcome is to have that release a guy going to the basket completely unaccounted for. And we saw several examples of that tonight. And Herder was the guy lifting to that rim, and he was in that Clay Thompson role. And I'm sure we'll see at some point Bogdanovich doing that. I'm sure at other points we'll see, you know, Trey doing. Split cut action is something they're going to invest in and do a lot more of. Again, go look at me and the pod and Kevin stuff on Twitter if you want to see those videos. The other stuff that they were doing um, that you mentioned to start the second and fourth quarter was sort of uh, I, sort of Doc Rivers, Clippers, Lou Williams heavy material. You see them do a lot of that where like Lou would come from the corner, pass two screens and get the ball, uh, you know, and dribble handoff, and then flipped that straight into a high pick and roll. And they did that several times tonight too. So it was interesting to see yeah. some, I saw some Rick Carlisle stuff. I saw some Doc Clippers stuff. And then I saw some Kerr Warrior stuff. And I like that diversification. I think most of that stuff is real. Um, whether we see, you know, them just go straight pick and roll in crunch time in close games, that would not surprise me if we see them go down that. But I think, I think one thing that's going to be fun and interesting is to see them throw more at opposing defenses. I think what we saw tonight suggests that we're gonna we're gonna see that, and that should be an interesting thing to follow. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Glenn. I'll I'll try to uh, get this up soon, and I will uh, for our listeners. I'll try to uh, link our Twitter account to to those clips that you wanted to share. And once again, thank you. We'll have to. Uh, We'll have to do this sometime again soon. Uh, you're my guy for X's and O's, and th- this was terrific. Always fun talking to you. Always happy to do it. Thanks for having me back. Thank you, sir.